1: Speaker Nancy Pelosi arrives in Taiwan angering China.
2: The Chinese will not let it lie. They will have they'll have their pound of flesh in some
1: other way. The Department of Justice filed a lawsuit against the state of Idaho for their abortion ban.
3: Today the Justice Department filed a lawsuit against the state of Idaho. The suit seeks to hold invalid the state's criminal prohibition on providing abortions.
1: U.S. household debt is on the rise surpassing $16 trillion.
4: Consumer debt is on the rise, and it's growing at a very fast rate.
1: This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Wednesday, August 3rd. I'm Mike Scott. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi arrived in Taiwan late Tuesday on a trip to show what she says is an unwavering American commitment to the island. But China condemned the highest-level U.S. visit in 25 years as a threat to peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. Pelosi's arrival prompted a furious response from China at a time when international tensions already are elevated by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. China considers Taiwan part of its territory and has never renounced using force to bring it under its control. The U.S. warned China against using the visit as a pretext for any military action against Taiwan. Chinese ambassador to the U.S. Qin Gong joins CNN to discuss the visit and says that China is not pleased.
5: Speaker Pelosi's visit to China's Taiwan region, the Chinese side has repeatedly expressed its firm and strong opposition to the U.S. side at various levels through different channels. The Speaker's Visit is a major event upgrading the substantive relations between the U.S. and Taiwan. And sends a very wrong signal to Taiwan-Independent Separatist Forces. It is a serious violation of the one-China principle and the provisions in the three Sino-U.S. joint
1: communiques. Gong says that Taiwan is, in his opinion part of China's territory. The question of Taiwan is not about democracy. It's
5: about China's national sovereignty and the territorial integrity. And it is uh, the aspiration of uh, the more than 1.4 billion Chinese people to achieve uh, the reunification of China. And it is an unbending will of the whole Chinese nation to defend our national sovereignty and territorial integrity.
1: Gong goes on to say that China strongly is protesting the Pelosi visit. Her
5: visit, in whatever form, at whatever time during his tenure, you know, carries, uh, you know, high political sensitivities, and it will result in the escalation of the tension across Taiwan Strait and uh, Escalation of the tension in the U.S.-China relations. So we firmly and strongly
1: condemn and protest against it. Gong warns that China will defend what they call their territory by any means necessary.
5: To achieve uh, the reunification, as I said earlier, is the firm and the strong will of uh, the whole Chinese nation. So, China's sovereignty cannot be infringed, and the Chinese people cannot be humiliated, and the reunification of China cannot be stopped. We said repeatedly in recent time that the PLA will not you know, stay idle, and the, PLA, the duty of PLA, the China's military, is to defend China's sovereignty, territorial integrity. Mr. Bessel. So we will take whatever we can to respond and to protect, to safeguard our sovereignty, territory, integrity. And our response will be very firm, strong, and uh, forceful.
1: Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi is finding some support back in the U.S. among Republicans. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says he's pleased. The House Speaker is visiting Taiwan over Chinese objections. I think it's important that the Speaker did go to Taiwan. I don't think the Chinese uh, get to tell members of Congress where they can go. Missouri Senator Roy Blunt says he's in favor of the Speaker's Taiwan visit. So I'm about to use four words in a row that I haven't used in this way before. And those four words are Speaker Pelosi was right. KT McFarland, the former deputy national security advisor, joined the Salem radio network to share her thoughts on the speaker's visit to Taiwan.
2: All right. Well, let's look at it from several different angles. Okay. For Nancy Pelosi's angle. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. She's been critical of China in the past and she has a very large Asian population in her district. She wants to win really big. Okay, so for her, talk's cheap. For the White House, um, what are they trying to do? You know, there there are two things to keep in mind. Number one, the the Biden administration rarely thinks through the consequences of their actions. They sort of do stuff, and then whether it's a withdrawal from Afghanistan, whether it's Biden's war on fossil fuels, and then they kind of think later about, oh, we didn't expect this to happen. And so I think that there was a certain amount of not thinking through how this was going to play out,
1: McFarland says that, in her opinion, the visit is simply to distract from the faltering economy.
2: And then the third point is the White House is trying to say, well, this is all Nancy Pelosi's idea. Look, I've been deputy national security advisor in the West Wing of the White House. The number three person in the United States, the Speaker of the House, who is after the vice president, next in line, of succession, should something happen to the president, <laughs> she doesn't just go on a whim, right? <laughs> yeah. She goes in consultation with the administration. She needs military aircraft to get her there, so if, at minimum, she's talking to the guys at the Pentagon. So they knew in advance, and and my guess is they were somehow playing this for politics, Nancy Pelosi's politics, um, the November politics, and as you point out, it's a nice distraction from the horrors we're all seeing yeah. in the economy and yeah. every time we check out at the grocery store line.
1: McFarland also says she doesn't believe, in her opinion, China will go to war, but the Chinese president will do something because he needs to distract from China's own economic woes.
2: Well, I don't think it's war. Okay. And okay. I think if it's war, we're crazy because they would, they would defeat the United States in a war, especially if the United States somehow tried to prevent a chinese invasion of taiwan i don't let me just say that i don't think those things happen okay. the chinese will not let it lie though they will have they'll have their pound of flesh in some other way Uh-oh. and and the president of china needs his pound of flesh because in a couple of months he's going to go to the chinese leaders and chinese people and demand and ask for a third term in office he cannot do that if he looks weak and impotent and he needs to distract from his own domestic political problems of a slowing economy of the COVID lockdowns, of a real estate bubble crashing. So he can't back down either.
1: The former national deputy security advisor believes that while China won't go to war, they may try to impose a blockade around Taiwan.
2: I think what they will do in response to Pelosi's visit is, well, they'll probably, you know, call off diplomatic relations, kick out each other's ambassadors. But more significantly, they could do as much as have a like a blockade of the the lab, the water that's between yes. Taiwan yeah. and China, yeah, and then and then by by that state, what they're doing is asserting China's part. Of Taiwan is an integral part of China. Mm. Now, what worries me about all that is the microprocessing chips, because China makes seventy five percent of the Taiwan makes seventy five percent of the chips that go into everything from, you know, dog cleaning equipment. To dog shampooing equipment to yeah. you know, your any of your electronics. Yeah. And if China uh. is in control of that, then China really is in control of the world economy.
1: McFarland believes that, in her opinion, the Biden administration's flip-flopping on policy matters is not playing out well on the foreign stage. The, the problem with
2: the administration is, A, they haven't ever thought out the consequences of their actions from economic, domestic, international, they just don't think it through. And then, um, and number two, they have no clear policy on anything. It's well, wait, we believe in one. T- we believe in Taiwan independence. No, we don't believe in Taiwan independence. We're gonna, we're gonna succumb to the military assistance of Taiwan if there's an invasion. And that's a quote from Joe Biden. Well, no, nah, we didn't really mean to say that. And and so it leaves everybody kind of scratching their heads. And that may not want may not be where you want to be in this kind of a
1: crisis. Department of Justice has filed suit on Tuesday challenging Idaho's near total ban on abortion, arguing that it would criminalize doctors for performing abortions during medical emergencies.
3: Today the Justice Department filed a lawsuit against the state of Idaho. The suit seeks to hold invalid the state's criminal prohibition on providing abortions as applied to women who are suffering medical emergencies. Under a federal law known as the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, or EMTALA, every hospital that receives Medicare funds must provide necessary stabilizing treatment to a patient who arrives at an emergency room suffering from a medical condition that could place their life or health in serious jeopardy. In some circumstances, the medical treatment necessary to stabilize the patient's condition is abortion.
1: Idaho's law is set to take effect on August 25, after the Supreme Court in June overturned Roe v. Wade, returning the issue of abortion to the states. This past Friday, Garland and other DOJ officials met with private law firms, law professors, and public interest groups at the White House to discuss legal representation for patients, providers, and any third parties offering abortion services. Throughout the country, the Idaho law bans all abortions except for cases of incest or rape that are reported to law enforcement or when a physician determines that an abortion is necessary to prevent the death of a mother. Last month, the DOJ created a task force aimed at protecting abortion rights following the Supreme Court decision in Dobbs that overturned Roe v. Wade and struck down the federal right to abortion. Garland says the Idaho law would make it a criminal offense for doctors to save a woman's life.
3: As detailed in our complaint, Idaho's law would make it a criminal offense for doctors to provide the emergency medical treatment that federal law requires. Although the Idaho law provides an exception to prevent the death of a pregnant woman, it includes no exception for cases in which the abortion is necessary to prevent serious jeopardy to the woman's health. Moreover, it would subject doctors to arrest and criminal prosecution even if they performed an abortion to save a woman's life, and it would then place the burden on the doctors to prove that they are not criminally liable.
1: Garland goes on to say that the Idaho law, in his opinion, violates federal law.
3: The United States therefore seeks a declaratory judgment that Idaho's law violates the Supremacy Clause of the United States Constitution and is preempted by federal law to the extent it is in conflict with Entala.
1: Garland goes on to say that the Justice Department is trying to send a message to other states.
3: Today the Justice Department's message is clear. It does not matter what state a hospital subject to umtala operates in. If a patient comes into the emergency room with a medical emergency, jeopardizing the patient's life or health, the hospital must provide the treatment necessary to stabilize that patient. This includes abortion when that is the necessary treatment.
1: Meantime, Kansas Tuesday was the first state to vote on abortion rights since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. The vote preserves access to abortion for now in Kansas. Reaching across the political aisle, Texas Governor Greg Abbott is inviting a couple of big city mayors to come on down. Daybreak Insider's Rich Thomason has more on this story. The formal invitation comes in a letter the governor sent to New York City Mayor Eric Adams and Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser. Abbott says he invited the mayors to, in the governor's words, visit our border region to see firsthand the humanitarian crisis created by Biden's reckless open border policies. Adams and Bowser have complained not about Biden policy, but rather about the busloads of illegal aliens that Texas and Arizona have been sending to their doorsteps. Rich Thomason reporting. A bill enhancing health care and disability benefits for veterans exposed to toxic burn pits has won final approval in the Senate. The vote ends a brief stalemate over the measure. The bill now goes to President Biden's desk to be signed into law. He has said the bill makes good on our sacred obligation to care for vets and their families.
2: On this vote, the yeas are 86 The nays are 11. Under the previous order requiring 60 votes for the adoption of this motion to concur, the motion is agreed to.
1: Prior to the vote, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said the Senate would pass a bill enhancing the benefits for millions of veterans.
6: Finally, this Senate is going to pass the most significant expansion of veteran health care benefits in generations. This is a very good day, a long-awaited day, a day that should have happened long ago.
1: Schumer says it is what veterans exposed to burn pits deserved. For decades, many of our nation's veterans have endured a
6: shameful reality. They went abroad to serve our country bravely, got sick from toxic exposure in the line of duty, but came home and learned they didn't qualify for the benefits they needed to treat their illnesses. It is shameful. It is infuriating.
1: Schumer says Democrats and Republicans are finally coming together. Help is finally on the way. Today we tell our veterans
6: suffering from cancers, lung diseases, other ailments from burn pits, the wait is over for the benefits you deserve. No more pointless delays on getting the health care you need. No more jumping through hoops and even hiring lawyers just to get an answer from the VA.
1: Many Americans are struggling to make ends meet as they deal with high inflation, and as a result, many are piling up credit card debt. For the first time ever, U.S. household debt surpassed $16 trillion. Even as borrowing costs surge, the New York Fed said credit card balances increased by $46 billion last quarter. Credit card debt has jumped by $100 billion over the last year in one of the biggest percentage increases in more than 20 years. Credit cards typically charge high interest rates when balances aren't fully paid off, making this an expensive form of debt. High inflation is also making it more expensive to carry a credit card balance because the Federal Reserve is aggressively raising borrowing costs. Shazia Vergi, the general manager of credit services for Credit Sesame, says consumers are leaning on credit cards to purchase essentials.
4: The first important thing to note is that consumer debt is on the rise and it's growing at a very fast rate. And I think it's important to note how we got here in the first place. So when consumers were supported by stimulus and other federal programs early on in the pandemic, they lined their pockets with extra cash. And this extra cash created a lot of demand increase of demand for goods and services and created less price sensitivity for consumers. So as demand increased and as supply couldn't keep up, prices started to rise. And so consumers are now leaning more on their credit cards for their everyday spending. And many of them are resorting to buy now, pay later options because they have 0% interest. And as we know, as the Fed is increasing interest rates, it's making borrowing more expensive. So buy now, pay later has been an attractive alternative for many consumers out there who are looking to continue their spending and uh, kind of fulfill that demand but potentially at a lower cost.
1: Job openings fell to a still high 10.7 million in June from 11.3 million in May. The Labor Department said job openings which never exceeded 8 million in a month before last year had topped 11 million every month from December through May before dipping in June. Daybreak Insider's business correspondent, Rita Foley, takes a look at the numbers.
4: Despite all the talk about a possible recession, there are still a lot of available jobs. Employers posted 10.7 million job openings in June. That's high, but it's down from May's 11.3 million. The Labor Department says the number of Americans quitting their jobs fell slightly in June. The number of layoffs fell, too. The job market's been resilient so far this year. The unemployment rate is near a 50-year low. And that's among the reasons many experts believe the economy is not yet in a recession. Even though the gross domestic product, the GDP, the broadest measure of economic output, has contracted for two quarters in a row. That's one rule of thumb for the onset of a downturn. I'm Rita Foley.
1: It played a role in Elvis' return to music, and it could be yours. Daybreak Insider's Tasha Stevens has more on this rock and roll story.
3: It is the guitar Elvis played in a TV special that reignited his music career after a seven-year stint in the movie business. Singer Presents Elvis is often referred to as the 68 comeback special that was aired on NBC on December 3rd, 1968. The guitar that Elvis played on the show is going up for auction on August 27th, along with some watches, chains, and cufflinks that he gave to his manager, Colonel Tom Parker. Tasha Stevens reporting.
1: And finally... Solar winds from the sun's atmosphere are set to hit Earth's magnetic field Wednesday, triggering a minor geomagnetic storm. During these storms, Earth's magnetic field gets compressed by the waves of highly energetic particles. These particles can release energy in the form of light to create colorful auroras, similar to the ones that make up the northern lights. Extreme geomagnetic storms can disrupt our planet's magnetic field to such a degree that it can send satellites tumbling to Earth. And scientists have warned that extreme geomagnetic storms can even cripple the Internet. CBS's Bray Hollingsworth says there may be some disruption in the Internet, but the storm will likely not impact infrastructure.
4: Most people won't notice any impacts, but if you uh, heavily rely on your GPS or any radio communications, then you could notice some disruptions. Now, many people I know are wondering, what is a geomagnetic storm? Well, scientists say that these storms happen when the magnetic field of a solar flare interacts with the Earth's magnetic field. Now, weather forecasters say in the last week, they saw two separate eruptions from the surface of the sun. This may sound complex and maybe a little concerning, but this storm isn't strong enough to cause any infrastructure issues.
1: Rob Steinberg with the Space Weather Prediction Center says this latest storm has combined with an earlier storm that will collide with Earth at the very same time.
2: We had one eruption early on the 28th of March, and that was headed towards Earth, and now we've had a second eruption behind that one. And so these two are combined now. And both heading towards
1: Earth. Scientists think the largest solar storm ever witnessed during contemporary history was the 1859 Carrington event, which released roughly the same energy as 10 billion one megaton atomic bombs. That storm fried telegraph systems around the world. Experts say that if a similar storm were to happen today, it would cause trillions of dollars in damage and trigger... Widespread blackouts. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or Salem Podcast Network.com. Get our companion daybreak insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott.